On behalf of his clients, he compiled a dossier of 17 separate reports on you and your past dealings with Russia. One of those reports asserts that in 2013, you spent a night with Russian prostitutes in a Moscow hotel room, which was secretly videotaped. Oh, no, prostitutes. There were never prostitutes. You'd have to be an idiot to believe something like that. I am not saying that the FBI believes these accusations. We simply have a duty to make you aware of Do them. I look like I need to go there? That scene, capturing the exchange when FBI Director James Comey met with then-President-elect Donald Trump at Trump Tower in January 2017, is just one of the dramatic moments in a new Showtime series, The Comey Rule. It's a reminder that the issues surrounding Russia's attack on American democracy and Trump's curious affection for Vladimir Putin are still with us and likely to forever be central to the historical debate over Trump's presidency. We'll talk to Billy Ray, the writer and director of The Comey Rule, on this episode of Skullduggery. Because people have got to know whether or not their president's a crook. Well, I'm not a crook. I told the American people I did not trade arms for hostages. My heart and my best intentions still tell me that's true. But the facts and the evidence tell me it is not. I did not have sexual relations with that woman. There will be no lies. We will honor the American people with the truth and nothing else. I'm Michael Isikoff, Chief Investigative Correspondent for Yahoo News. And I'm Dan Clydman, Editor-in-Chief of Yahoo News. I got to say, uh, The Comey Rule is a pretty darn good movie, uh, a lot better than I thought it was going to be. It held my interest. It's two two-hour episodes on Showtime that will be premiering in a few days, and yeah, what was striking is the first one deals with the events of 2016, the um, uh, and Comey's role in the 2016 election on the uh, Hillary Clinton email matter. And from all the reporting we've both done on that, I thought it pretty well captured what happened and why it happened. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, you know, we've both. Uh spent a lot of time thinking about Jim Comey, writing about him, reporting on him. He is a fascinating, complicated, flawed character. And this is a largely sympathetic portrayal of Comey, but it's also nuanced. And I think it also succeeds in kind of putting you there and, you know, kind of understanding all of the swirling pressures around him in that, you know, very, very difficult election. He certainly uh, made mistakes. He did not do everything right at all. But it's a very kind of human portrait uh, of a guy who was struggling, who was tormented, you know, who, who did make some mistakes. And I think it just provided a lot of context. Yeah, I was surprised, for example, that I actually wanted to really spend, <laughs> I wasn't excited about spending four hours kind of reliving all of those events. And I found myself drawn in almost from the beginning, partly because the portrayal of all of the different characters uh, was so well done, so realistic. I mean, I really felt like I was in the room with Jim Comey, with uh, Rod Rosenstein, with many of the other people, and just two guys who've covered the Justice Department and the FBI for decades now. 
it it really rang true. There were not a lot of false notes. That's what it's like inside those buildings, and that was fascinating to see. Right, and of course, the second uh, the second episode in the series is about Russia and how the FBI grappled with the um, information it was getting about Russian interference in the election, and then agonized over what to do when Donald Trump becomes president and starts pressuring Comey, demanding loyalty, asking him to go easy on uh, Mike Flynn and demanding that uh, Comey go public to clear him and say he was not under investigation. There's still a lot of controversy about the FBI's handling of this. We're still awaiting the John Durham report uh, that's supposedly looking at this. But, you know, I thought for based on what we know, the portrayal in this movie really captures the drama. A really important point, which is, and this goes to you know the the, uh, the Durham investigation and all the questions about whether the FBI uh, was justified in, in in doing this investigation. You know, if you go if you if you go back in time and you know you you remember all of the things that were happening. You know, all of the people on the high level people on the Trump campaign who had these really suspicious ties to uh, various uh, Russian and Russian-connected figures, Russian intelligence <laughs> figures in the case of of, uh, of Manafort. And you heard the things that Trump was saying about Putin and all of the other things he was saying about Russia. You really did understand in that, I, I wouldn't even say bubble they were in, it was just what we were all hearing, that you could not not investigate the Trump campaign. There was just too much smoke uh, it would have been a total dereliction of duty not to take it seriously, not to investigate it. Did they give too much weight to the Steele dossier? Probably. You know, uh, should they have been more careful uh, with the Carter Page, FISA? Definitely. And just to underscore why this is all quite timely, as we speak, uh, Josh Rogan, Washington Post columnist, who's been a skullduggery guest, is reporting that uh, about a new CIA assessment that not only is Russia continuing to try to interfere in this election in 2020, but that it is uh, probably directed by Vladimir Putin himself. So um, the deep state is rising up <laughs> against Trump five weeks before the election. Yeah, I am yeah. looking well, forward to that, seeing that. That's the deep American state. Uh, <laughs> what about the deep Russian well, state that yeah, is uh, well, rising point. up to try to secure Donald Trump's yeah. election? <laughs> that's right. We are now joined by Billy Ray, the writer and director of The Comey Rule. Uh, Billy, welcome to Skullduggery. Thank you. It's an honor. Appreciate being here. <laughs> and so my first question for you is, um, what was your favorite candy as a kid? <laughs> I said Nestle's Crunch Bar. How about you? <laughs> Reese's uh, Cups. And the reason I ask, uh, just so our listeners who haven't yet presumably seen the film, is that was a favorite question that James Comey would ask of um, people who came into his office or who worked for him to try to put them at ease. It was um, sort of a part of his playbook for leadership, correct? <laughs> yes. And, uh, and I think really smart. He had followed up Robert Mueller, who was famous for intimidating subordinates, 
And Comey thought that that was a bad idea in terms of leadership. He thought that that limited people's effectiveness. So he wanted to be the anti-Mueller in a lot of ways and, and was. I mean, even down to the fact that when Comey showed up for his very first day as FBI director and he made a statement via video conference to all the FBI employees, he did it without a jacket on. And he wore a light blue shirt instead of a white shirt, knowing that Mueller had worn a, a white shirt and a red tie and a blue jacket every single day for 12 years. Comey was trying to lead a different kind of bureau. I should point out very quickly that when Rod Rosenstein, having heard James Comey suggest this as a leadership technique, tried to do it himself in your film, it doesn't work out so well. <laughs> um, well, Rod is uh, our narrator. I felt very strongly that I should announce to our audience within a minute of the opening of the movie that I know how conflicted people feel about James Comey, and I know not everybody loves James Comey. So what better way to do that than to have a narrator who doesn't care for James Comey at all? And Rod seemed like the perfect choice. Obviously, that part of the movie is sort of a, a, a fantasia, if you will. Now, knowing what I know about Rod Rosenstein in the last month or so, some new reporting has come out, and I've decided I took it way too easy on him. Well, Mike and I have known Rod for some 25 years, so we're going to want to get into that. I think it's an interesting, a very interesting part of the story. But I wanted to actually pick up on what you were saying earlier. You know, Comey, as you pointed out, was very popular inside the, the Hoover building, but much more controversial outside, across the political spectrum. So I assume that that is in part what drew you to this story, that Comey is a complicated and kind of nuanced character. Why did you want to tell this story? Well, let's back up a little bit. The election of 2016 completely flattened me. I was, this is going to be a slightly controversial statement, but I was more afraid for my country November 9th of 2016 than I was the day after September 11th. And that doesn't mean, of course, that September 11th wasn't a horrific event. It was the most horrific event. But what I mean by that is the day after September 11th, I knew America would come together. I knew that we would, we would all be pulling on the same side of the rope, and of course we did. The morning after the election of Donald Trump, I knew the country was going to come apart, and it is. And I knew that democracy was going to be imperiled, and it is very much imperiled at the moment. So I was looking for something to write about that would express my feelings about the Trump presidency and more broadly, the threat to our democracy. And then I get this call from a producer named Shane Salerno saying, do you want to adapt James Comey's book? This was the night before uh, it was published. I said, oh my God, give me the book. So I read it overnight and I called him the next morning. I said, I'm in. And the reason was because Trump keeps talking about this deep state, this mythical deep state that's out there, which I knew to be a group of public servants who care desperately about their country and, their, and our democracy and the apolitical intentions of some of the most uh, important institutions that are holding that democracy together. And I thought, let's tell a story about how heartbreaking it can be to be a public servant. And Comey seemed like the perfect vehicle to me. Yes, he's a very flawed, imperfect character. That's what makes him interesting. Let's uh, take this in stages because this is two parts. And the first part of the movie is about the events of 2016 and Comey's controversial decisions first to announce on his own the uh, FBI's conclusions and recommendations in the Hillary Clinton email matter. And then 
in late October, in the closing weeks of the election, to write that infamous or notorious letter he did indicating the FBI was reopening the investigation when it had no evidence at that point that any of the new information it had found was material to its decision-making process. And you clearly present all sides of this. I'm curious about your own thoughts Having heard Comey's explanations, which you present in the film, for why he did what he did, how do you feel today about Comey's handling of the um, Hillary email matter? Well, a large attempt here is to say to the audience, okay, be Jim Comey for five minutes. Here are the facts on the ground. Here are the pressures. Here are the constraints. Here are the political realities. What would you do? That is not an apology for Jim Comey or for what he did. It's just an exploration of what went into those decisions. I think it's really clear when you watch the series that a lot of very thoughtful, smart people were looking at this from every possible angle and trying to figure out what the right thing was. And although I don't love those decisions, I certainly applaud the impetus for them. I understand what he was trying to do. I understand what he was valuing, and I think what he was valuing was noble. That said, had I been on uh, Director Comey's staff in 2016, and I often fantasize that I was on Director Comey's staff and I could change history, I would have had him make that that first statement uh, alongside Sally Yates, and it would have been three minutes long instead of 12 minutes long, or however many minutes it was, and would have gone into much, much less detail. I think there was a middle ground that that could have been found there. In terms of the October statement, there's not a lot that I would have done differently. He was absolutely boxed in by that point. There's no question that the New York field office of the FBI was just completely riddled with Hillary haters. They were pumping information out to Rudy Giuliani, and there's no doubt in my mind that Rudy Giuliani was going to go public with it. So it was going to get out there one way or another, and either it was going to get out there from Comey, or it was going to get out there in a way that would look like Comey had sat. But Billy, on it. Let, let me just push back on this on a couple of levels. First of all, sure. um, w- you know, one big rap on Comey is in this case, as in many others, including during the uh, Russia matter, he made decisions on his own in which he decided what was best for the FBI without even notifying or getting the approval of his superiors at the Department of Justice, which is what he is supposed to do. And, you know, regardless of however, you know, well-intentioned you believe he was, he was uh, substituting his own judgment for institute about what's best for the uh, for the FBI for institutional norms that matter a lot. And the other point about that is you, you you let him in the movie, you let him use his explanation on the October letter. We had the we had the choice between going public and possibly influencing the election, you know, which is, you know, barely 10 days away at that point or concealing our investigation. And as Rod Rosenstein aptly put it when he wrote the letter to fire Comey, concealing is not the right word for what the FBI does in investigations. All FBI 
investigations are supposed to be secret until it reaches its findings. Concealing is a loaded term that Comey uses to justify writing the letter that he did when, in fact, that is what the FBI is supposed to do. Those are both very, very fair criticisms, and I understand them completely. Let me, let me take them uh, one at a time. If we go back into where he was in June and July of 2016, Loretta Lynch has let Bill Clinton on the plane. She has completely tainted herself, and Comey believed that, by extension, Sally Yates was then tainted as well. That was his justification for not having them on the stage with him and also his justification for not notifying them ahead of time. I may have handled it differently. And, you know, it's funny, nobody ever asked me what the title of our uh, I was series. I going to get to that, yeah. <laughs> uh, the, Comey rule, the Comey rule came about because it was an expression that I heard while doing my own research. It was a, it was a joke kicked around inside the Department of Justice the Comey rule means putting your own belief system ahead of the norms of DOJ. They, they jokingly called it the Comey rule. And I thought, what a great title. No one ever asked me about it. And it just it's sort of uh, evocative in the way the Hurt Locker is a great title. Uh, you don't know what it means. It just sounds like something people in that world say. So, yes, I completely understand the criticism of him. And again, I don't think this movie is an apology for him in any way. I, I've got to stop calling it a movie. It's a series. Movie is an old habit for me. Uh, this is two nights. And in terms of October, you know, there were 11 days out. And I understand why you are latching on to the word concealing. I have a hard time with citing Rod Rosenstein as an authority about anything that has to do with politics, because I just think he, speaking of tainted, that guy's agenda has now become incredibly clear. So to me, he is not a neutral arbiter of anything that has to do with what went on in October. What I wish Comey would have done would have been notifying those eight people in person, as opposed to doing it via letter, because the letter was then leakable by Jason, Ch Jason Chaffetz of Utah. People forget that. It was not that Comey went public with anything. He sent a letter to the Gang of Eight, and the Gang of Eight uh, was, you know, I, I think it was incumbent upon but, them. But uh, as the film points out, he well knew it was going to instantly leak. But why, I want to actually, I want to pick up on that. What, why did Comey feel duty-bound to notify Congress? He has said this over and over again, and I'm not sure I fully understand it. I mean, yes, he announced publicly that the investigation was over. But then new information came to light, and so they decided that they had to take another look. That he's always, you know, sort of essentially said that that it would be he would have been lying to them if he didn't disclose it. It would be a you know, it'd be perjury if he didn't if he didn't disclose it. But I don't see that at all. It was new information, and and it is. It is a norm, maybe not a Comey rule, but a norm that you don't announce the opening of, of investigations. So the, the reason I ask about this is, and I think you're, the title is really interesting because it does go to this kind of persistent criticism of him that he is self-righteous, that he is the, sees himself as the kind of moral savior of the world. And, you know, I just, I, I just wonder, like, did he have to go to Congress? 
did he have to go to Congress? Well, let's live in an alternate reality for a second. Uh, let's assume that they make the decision not to. And Rudy Giuliani goes on TV and says, hey, guess what? I have it called. The FBI has reopened the investigation into Hillary Clinton 11 days before the election, and the FBI has chosen not to tell anybody about it. Okay, well, then and it then looks like Comey, this is the point, because it looks like then they'll say Comey lied to us. And there are people who will say, okay, well, take the heat for that. You know, do the right thing. And, and so, it, so, the, so the suggestion there is that it is more important for Comey to preserve his reputation as a ethical, honest person than to stand by established norms. I understand that criticism. I have, of course, heard it many, many times yeah. before. I hear it in D.C., I never, by the way, hear it outside of D.C., Yeah, but I do hear it in D.C. Let's assume that we can take him at his word. I know Director Comey to be a man of incredible integrity. And by the way, I have my own personal experience on this in that I've known the man for, oh gosh, I guess over two years now. And knowing that I was writing and directing this series, that guy had a million different opportunities to manipulate me or spin me or steer me in a way that would make this a more flattering portrait of him. And he never, ever did that, which told me a lot about him. But anyway, let's take him at his word. If his intention was not to save his own reputation, but to save the reputation of the FBI, then he did absolutely the right thing. If the goal was to make sure that the FBI was above reproach, then what else could he have done? And to me, what buttresses that argument is, look at the shots Donald Trump has taken at the FBI since, and look at the reputation of the FBI now, such that a per percentage of the country, maybe 40, 45% of the country, doesn't take the FBI at its word. That makes us all a lot less safe. That's a very, very dangerous reality. The FBI, in order for it to do its job, must have the trust of the public. That's how cases get made in the FBI. And if we assume for a second that it was not James Comey's ego, but James Comey's responsibility to that, to that institution that was guiding him, I think that's a contest, context that makes his decisions a lot more palatable. At least it does for me. Let's get to the Trump part of the uh, of the series, the second part. Um, sure. First of all, we should point out Jeff Daniels plays James Comey in this movie. Uh, he is a face uh, you we're all familiar with and uh, does a fine job, particularly of of sort of showing the inner conflicts that Comey yes. was going through. But your President Trump character, first of all, who is that actor? I mean, it's kind of a cartoonish Donald Trump, but it really captures, uh, <laughs> I mean, captures the cartoon captures the man in many ways. Who's the actor? And tell us about uh, how he played it. He is the great multiple Emmy winning Brendan Gleeson. Irish actor. He and I had a conversation very, very early on that we were doing the first dramatic interpretation of Donald Trump ever. I mean, as much as I love Alec Baldwin, we weren't doing a sketch. We were, we were doing a dramatic character. And that was going to impact every decision that we made in terms of the hair, the makeup, the costumes, the dialect, the, the movement, the behavior, all of it. We were going to play it straight. And I kept getting, this, I kept getting the same questions asked of me all through prep, when I was talking to people from uh, wardrobe, when I was talking to people from makeup or hair, they said, okay, 
do you want to do the caricature of Trump? And I said, no, I, I want to do the, the straight up Trump. And they said, well, how do we do that? Because he is a caricature. In his actual behavior, he's cartoonish. I said, well, we're going to err on the side of subtlety. And, and so we did. Um, and I don't feel that, that, Donald, that uh, Brendan is cartoonish in any way. I actually think he's playing a real character with real drives and real flaws and, and an actual skill set. The problem is, is that Trump is cartoonish. So if <laughs> yeah, you play, if you yeah. play Trump in an authentic yes. way, you're going to be, you know, so uh, let me ask you, yes. you, you mentioned Rod Rosenstein a couple of times uh, that maybe you would have been tougher on him. He's a fascinating character in this series. You know, he is narrator, as you said, he's kind of a one man Greek chorus. He's a foil for Comey. Tell us about your views of Rod Rosenstein, the role he plays and uh, why you portrayed him the way you did. I try not to judge my characters. I think they come out more human that way. I know that when I was talking to Brendan Gleeson, there was never a moment where I said, can you be more menacing or can you be more villainous? And he certainly never said to me, hey, do you need me to do a little more mustache twirling here? We wanted to play Trump real. In the same way, uh, Scoot McNary, brilliant actor who's playing Rod Rothenstein, we don't talk about Rod in adjectives. We talk about him in verbs. In other words, I'm not going to, ever say to an actor, be weaselly, or be angry, or be sad, or be bitter. I'm going to say, here's what the character wants, and here's how the character is trying to get it. We played Rod as someone who had very situational ethics. I think history absolutely supports that conclusion about him. We played Rod as someone who had very, very complicated feelings about James Comey, asked for and got James Comey's help in a lot of different respects, and then shivved him pretty effectively. To me, we are, uh, our actions define us. We are what we do. And uh, those are Rod Rosenstein's actions. And out of those actions, Scoot McNary built this character. I mean, there are exquisite ironies. Rod Rosenstein, is it true? It sounded familiar to me that he invited Comey to come out to the U.S. Attorney's Office in Baltimore to talk about yes. ethics, to talk about yes. leadership. And then I guess he gets his own real lesson in leadership from Comey over time. And he also, uh, when he took over the position as DAG, asked Comey into his office to ask for advice on how to do the job well. And then subsequently took the uh, Bedminster memo and, and wrote his own draft of it, uh, ensuring that Comey would be fired. You know, Billy, I thought the film really brilliantly, the series brilliantly sort of recreates the sort of fear and paranoia within the FBI and the Justice Department as they see Donald Trump taking the actions he is in pressuring, demanding loyalty of Comey, asking him to go easy on Mike Flynn and all the other, uh, and then finally firing Comey and, you know, people in the FBI sort of grappling with what what is going on here? What is this guy acting as a stooge for the Russians? Is he doing the bidding of a foreign power? And, you know, as I say, I think that the, the film really, uh, ca the series captures that. But you don't touch on a lot of the criticisms of the FBI in that second part. The um, uh, We now know that the FBI committed a lot of serious effort uh, mistakes 
and in its uh, handling of Crossfire Hurricane, the investigation into Russia. The Inspector General report documented that. You show Comey presenting the allegations in the Steele dossier to uh, the president. You don't point out that just a few weeks later, they tracked down the subsource for that for those allegations about the golden shower. And they learn, the FBI does, that basically what Comey has just presented to the president, they have, not only do they have no evidence for, that it was largely based on internet rumor and gossip. And, you know, does raise questions about how much the FBI and Comey continued to put stock in an opposition research document that was funded by the Clinton campaign. And as you know, you know, you're going to they're going to be critics saying, why didn't you address any of that in this film? Well, you know how to do the sculpture of an elephant? You start with a block of granite and you chip away everything that's not an elephant, right? Um, There's no other way to do it. You can't build it from the ground up. Well, telling a story in, in a movie or a TV series is exactly the same way. You start with a block of granite, which is all the research that you do, everything you know about a given situation. And then you say, what's the elephant in there? What's the story that I'm telling? In my case, it was, I'm going to do a story about how heartbreaking it can be to be a public servant. And that is the story of Comey. And that's the story more broadly of the people around him at the FBI, all public servants, all of whom wound up either resigning or being fired or retiring as a result of the Trump administration. That was the elephant for me. And I chipped away everything that wasn't that. And in my view, the actual truth of, or or the truth or untruth of the Steele dossier is completely immaterial. What matters is that the FBI was watching the Russians. The Russians were talking to people inside the Trump campaign. That brought those people and the campaign more broadly within the scope of inquiry of crossfire hurricane. And as we see now, you could be looking from a satellite down on the United States of America and understand what Russia is trying to do to our electoral process. It is so brazen and so obvious. It was happening in a a more discreet way in 2016. It is happening in a, a completely obvious way in 2020. And it is now happening with the willful knowledge, if not participation, of the Commander-in-Chief of the United States of America, okay? That's a much bigger story to me than, you know, some haggling over the Steele dossier, which was not the beginning of the FBI's investigation and was not terribly important to the FBI's investigation. So to me, that is a Republican distraction. And I don't like to engage about it because it just makes me angry. Well, it was it, w- it was important enough for a Comey to not only push to get it in the intelligence assessment, which the CIA and DNI rejected, uh, but also to confront President Trump with it and then also use it uh, to get FISA warrants against one of its targets, Carter Page, even after learning that it was not only uncorroborated, but most likely in many of its particulars, untrue. I don't believe that Comey was using it on Donald Trump. I know that Donald Trump felt that that was the case. I think it was Comey's duty to warn the the incoming president of the United States, this is out there. This is being said about you. CNN has it. 
There are members of Congress that have it. How could they not tell Donald Trump what was in the Steele dossier and how likely it was to go public? That would, I mean, that would have been a horrible dereliction of duty. I just want to get back to, to Rosenstein for a second. And by the way, I love, I'm not sure everyone picked up on this, but that uh, Jeff Sessions, I guess when he's swearing him in, gets his name wrong and calls him Rosenstein, <laughs> which of course the whole country went back and forth between Rosenstein and Rosenstein, but that was yes. his boss. He should have gotten it right. But I want to ask you about the scene after Comey is fired and Rosenstein realizes that it's been pinned on him, that, that Trump yes. says, well, Rod, you know, Rose, you know, the deputy attorney general recommended, recommended this. So you have this scene where he is you know, he says, I can't believe they use me like this. And he's practically crying. And I think it's, in, correct me if I'm wrong, I think it's in the same scene that he also says that he'd be willing to, that the 25th Amendment ought to be invoked and that he would willingly wear a wire and that Chief of Staff Kelly would support it and so would Sessions. Now, there's been, you know, ba reporting back and forth on this. And, and, you know, I think Rod has suggested that it wasn't serious. He was joking. Uh, you portrayed it as very serious, that this was something. After all the research you did, what was your conclusion? What was Rod doing there? Was that theater on his part? Was he really willing to wear a wire? Did he really think the 25th Amendment should be invoked? Or was this some, in some way, his own... I mean, you refer to it as uh, situational ethics, although I think in the, in the series it's called ass covering. What's going on there with Rod? What I would prefer to do is to have a Senate or House committee bring him in, put him under oath, and ask him. I don't believe he'll lie about it under oath. Um, I've given you my dramatic interpretation of what I think happened. I'm not a journalist. I'm not a, uh, a documentary filmmaker. But this is what I believe ha happened, and there has been nothing in uh, reporting in the public square that contradicts that interpretation of what we portray in the series. I'll stand by it. Uh, another great character in the film is Lisa Page, quite a uh, salty <laughs> lawyer uh, uh, with um, some strong language and strong views. Very likable in the movie, you know, not likable to a lot of people who have read her text messages with Peter Strzok. But uh, tell us your sense of uh, Lisa Page and um, the role she played. Well, at first, I, I want to say that I have no interest in the affair between Peter Strzok and Lisa Page. You show um, it in the movie. I had to. It was not interesting to me, but I knew that I needed Page and Strzok in the story. And if I put Page and Strzok in the story and did not show the affair, I was going to get accused of whitewashing and concealing, to use a, a word that we've kicked around already. And I didn't want to do that. So I felt sort of duty bound to say, yes, this affair took place. That said, I think Lisa Page and Peter Strzok are public servants. I think they care a lot about the FBI and about our democracy and about our country. They're not friends of mine. I've never sat in a room with either of them, but I felt that they were part of, again, that idea of the elephant. What's the elephant in the story here? That the story is about how heartbreaking it can be to, uh, to be a public servant. And Lisa and Peter were certainly part of that story. Well, the other, of course, the other love affair in the series is between James Comey and his wife. And you devote a lot of time to that and to the pressures 
that he is feeling because of his wife's own view of the situation. She she and her kids go daughter go to the uh, the women's march. They are open supporters of of Hillary Clinton, and they are very concerned about the path that. Uh, Director Comey was on. So were you able to talk to James Comey's wife uh, as part of the research that you did for this movie? Absolutely. And what was she was, what was that like? What was she like? Well, she's incredibly devoted to her husband and her family, and uh, she believes in him a great deal. Uh, but she was honest with me about how she felt about that campaign and about Hillary Clinton and about Donald Trump. And I was trying to capture that. Again, if you go back to the idea, that the story is about how heartbreaking it can be to be a public servant. Part of the heartbreak is you got to come home and deal with the decisions you've made on a very, very personal level. Um, and, and Comey certainly did. Has Comey seen the movie? He has. And what's his uh, review? I think, he's very, I think he's very, very proud of it. And that that's very gratifying for me. And did he, you consulted with him regularly during the uh, the making of this movie did he you know how much input did was it just answering questions hey in this meeting how did you handle that or did he get to look at the script did he make suggestions well it was a lot of question answering uh the very first thing i did once it was official that i was going to be writing this i wrote out i think it was 151 questions for him and sent them along, and he took uh, you know a week or so, and then answered them. And those were questions about the FBI, and uh, and you know they were, they were very personal questions as well. I mean, I literally one of the questions was, "Do you own a pair of jeans?" Just because I couldn't imagine him in anything other than a suit. So it started there, just getting to know him, and then several face-to-face meetings where I was just taking notes as a journalist would, and then. Lots of questions, mostly via email while I was writing, just about, can you tell me the order of how something actually took place in a, in a given scene? Or if I compress these two conversations, is that in some way going to fundamentally alter the, the spirit of the truthfulness of, of the scene? Those kind of questions. I, I got and, a bit of a, a follow-up to this because sure. you do, you did, you clearly did meticulous research, and some of the scenes are just, you know, right out of, you know, my own reporting, others reporting, you know, exactly as things occurred. But you also take, you know, some dramatic liberties, as anybody making a film like this does. You know, one example is when Flynn goes to Moscow for the RT event, you have a personal meeting with Vladimir Putin that he has, which is not in the public record. There's no evidence that that occurred. So I'm just wondering, when you're making a movie like this, how do you decide when you can take those dramatic liberties, especially when you're going to such lengths to get the facts exactly right? Well, I'll tell you exactly how that one came about, the Flynn one. The, the big answer to the question is, if you are being true to the spirit of events, big picture, then you're fine. For example, we know that Flynn was at that RT gala. We know that he sat next to Vladimir Putin. That's the big deal. We know what the spirit of that conversation was about. It just so happens that we had a fantastic location in DC. It's this uh, Mellon Auditorium where we were shooting a scene in which Comey gets a call from Mark Giuliano to tell him that the Russians are infiltrating or trying to hamper the uh, Hillary Clinton campaign. 
It's the building that's right next door to the EPA uh, in DC. And behind that auditorium is this great room, which was just going to be our green room on the day. And as I was looking at that room, I thought, oh, let's not do the RT gala, which is kind of ugly visually. Let's make this a room in Moscow and just have the conversation between Flynn and Putin be the moment they met. I think that's a liberty you can absolutely take. It's visually better. It saved us a day of shooting because it was using one location for two scenes. And, you know, everything that they say in that scene, you could make the argument, is exactly what they said at that table. I suppose if somebody wants to nitpick on that one, do I have it in the public record that they had a private conversation? I, I don't. Do we know for a fact that they didn't? No, of course we don't. And does it ultimately matter? Of course not. So there are moments like that where the realities of production and the realities of production design help you to come up with creative problem solving when you have to. By the way, it's worth noting that that is uh, that Mellon Auditorium is where the Republican National Convention took place. Yes, I know. There's some irony there. <laughs> um, you know, there are a few dramatic liberties as uh, as these film as these series or films go. This one seems unusually uh, sticking and reflective of what the known facts are. So um, you are to be congratulated for that, as well as just making a uh, you know terrifically watchable film. Um, I have to say, I uh, ended up liking it a lot more than I expected to, given um, how what a contentious character James Comey is. But um, I thought you captured uh, you captured him and uh, the drama of events in Washington over the last. Few, a uh, few years, um, exactly. And right. Billy, when does it when does yeah, it when premiere? Does it it's, uh, um, on Showtime. So it's on uh, Showtime uh, this Sunday and the next day, the next night, which is Monday. And I just want to say, just a last thought about that, about liking it more than you thought you would. Uh, hmm. I hear that a lot. And although the evidence is only anecdotal, you know, I've shown this series to I don't know, probably a hundred people. And I've gotten a lot of the same comments, which is when I ask people to look at it, and this was you know, three months ago, as well as yesterday, uh, when I asked people to look at it, a lot of them said, God, do I really want to relive that? That period was so hard. Do I want to go through that again? And then they do it. And then what they tell me afterwards is that as harrowing and as difficult and as sometimes infuriating as this series can be, that they find it really emotional and really relevant and oddly hopeful. And that by the, time, by the time they're done watching it, they feel somehow more American than they felt four hours before. They feel more connected. Actually, Billy, I've got one final quick question. One final quick question. You, uh, there was a bit of an issue, as I rem remember, uh, a month or two ago, when Showtime originally planned this to run after the election, you were quite upset by that. You protested and you got it to run before the election. Why did you want this to run before the election? Well, look, if you are telling a story that is partially about what the Russians did to our election in 2016, and the Russians are in the process of doing it again in 2020, and that's not a matter of conjecture, despite what the president might say. It's a matter of fact. Of course, I want this uh, series placed before the American public before they vote in 2020 so that they can uh, so that they can identify for themselves 
what the risk level is and what the cost is of having a foreign government infiltrate and influence our electoral process. Of course, I wanted that to be viewed by the American public before they voted. Also, um, the performances in this series are spectacular. I had an incredible cast. They all delivered. And I want as many people to see those performances as is humanly possible. You air this thing, you know, September 27th and September 28th, people are going to watch. You air it in late November, it's a historical artifact. And I thought less people would watch. And just as a piece of business, it becomes less viable and less valuable. So of course I wanted it to air. I think it's romantic and very sweet that people think that a letter that I wrote could somehow uh, back off a company the size of Viacom. Of course it didn't. I think they were, I think they knew that this was the right decision. I think they knew just economically, uh, it, it just made more sense business-wise. I think my letter gave them some cover to revisit a decision that they were going to revisit anyway. Uh, you mentioned great performances. Just before we close here, I just had to, we did not mention Holly Hunter's uh, portrayal of <laughs> Sally Yates. It is terrific. We both know Sally Yates a little bit. She looked exactly like her. She sounded exactly like her. And that is true of basically every performance in this uh, series. So congratulations. Uh, great, you. great movie, series, whatever you want to call it. And um, <laughs> hope everyone tunes in. Thank you. Thanks, Billy. All right. Thank you so much.